0: Hey guys, welcome back to 8-Bit Archaeology. This week we're going to be talking about God of War. Let's dig in. Hey guys, welcome back to the first official episode of 8-Bit Archaeology. We're going to be starting off the podcast by talking about God of War. To me, the reason I wanted to start with this game is because, A, there's a new game coming out next week. At the time of recording, it's the the 15th of April, and the new God of War game is going to be coming out. So we're about a week away, but I thought this would be a good opportunity to kind of dive into the origin of the series because it's so deeply rooted in Greek mythology, and it's also just a classic game. So... It's something that I thought would be good to talk about because everyone knows a bit about the game already, but it's something that we can deep dive into more to learn about the origins of the characters, the art style, and the history behind the design of the game. So let's get into it. Now, I want to give a brief overview of what the game is really about before we dive into the characters and everything. So for those of you who don't know much about God of War, it's essentially about this anti-hero named Kratos. Kratos is referred to as the Ghost of Sparta. And there's a whole backstory to why he earned this nickname that I'll get into when I talk about his character. But essentially, Kratos was in the service of the god of war, Ares. Now, Ares forces Kratos to kill his own family in cold blood. After this, Kratos sort of denounces Ares' service and pledges himself to the gods in an attempt to resolve his sins. And that's kind of where the god of war series starts off, and Kratos ends up being tasked With taking out Ares, essentially, because Ares is laying siege to Athens. So the goddess Athena recruits Kratos to take down Ares and promises that his sins will be forgiven. That's the general premise, and essentially what this game does is it takes us back through, not the whole of Greek mythology, but certainly a pretty far dive into the rabbit hole. You have everything from the Medusa, there's a hydra in the game, the Furies and oracles and the gods themselves so there's a lot to work with here for the first part where i analyze characters i want to focus on the main characters of the series and look at their sort of history in the game and then their real world origins and see if we can see what kind of liberties the game designers took with forming a new story from a source material that was already pretty rich Okay guys, so the first person that I want to talk about from the large roster of characters in this game is the Ghost of Sparta himself. Kratos. So essentially what I've done is I've gone through and done research into the history of Kratos in the game as well as in real world history. So I want to recap that a little bit and then kind of look at the parallels between the two characters and see you know what from his origin did we keep and what from his origin did we lose. So in the game Kratos is called the Ghost of Sparta and he was the champion of Ares in this competition to search for this material called the Ambrosia. A bunch of other gods picked champions and Kratos came out on top. Now he was looking for the Ambrosia to save his daughter, so he was able to save his daughter, but then winning this competition uh, led to Kratos becoming the captain of Spartan Army. Now, Kratos was waging war across the country with the Spartan Army and conquering, and he came across a band of barbarians. The barbarians overwhelmed his forces and him, and in his final moment of need, he prayed to Ares and pledged his service to him if Ares would erase his enemies. So, essentially, Ares comes down, slaughters the entire army besides the leader, and gives Kratos the Blades of Chaos. Now, essentially, this entangles Kratos with a pledge to Ares, and he, from there on, goes to commit countless murders in the name of Ares, and eventually ends up blindly killing his own wife and daughter. Now, this is where the name Ghost of Sparta comes into play, because an oracle who witnesses this binds the ashes of Kratos's family to his skin and turns his appearance ghost white. So, after this, Kratos denounces his service to Ares and pledges himself to the gods to see if he can have his sins forgiven now like i mentioned earlier this is where the games pick up and essentially what we see happening from there on out is kratos working with athena to gain the power to slay a god to do this he needs to pursue pandora's box so essentially what this game has you doing is searching for pandora's box so you can open it and gain the power to slay Ares at the request of the gods now kratos thinks that the gods are going to forgive his sins and relieve him of these nightmares that he's been having where he keeps having to see himself kill his family. And, you know, at the end of the game, they don't do this. They forgive his sins, but they tell him his nightmares can never be erased. Kratos, hearing this, knowing that he can't unsee those nightmares, decides to take it upon himself to end his own life. But Athena doesn't let him. Instead, after he kills Ares, she stops him from plunging himself off the cliff and tasks him with becoming the new god of war. So that's kind of a brief overview of Kratos' arc in the game. Now, Kratos in Greek mythology is uh, vastly different and more Vague. He's not really a fleshed out character per se. There's more minor references to him throughout history. So there's two schools of thought that I found. He's either the son of Titans or similar to the, and this is a spoiler, but the game has been out for 13 years, so, you know, I treat this how you will. But similar to in the games, Kratos is a demigod and a son of Zeus. So his origins are actually kept pretty faithful. And from there, all I was able to find really is that Kratos is used more as a retainer for Zeus and other gods. So one instance I found in particular is that. Kratos is involved with chaining up Prometheus after he steals fire from the gods and gives it to humans. So Kratos is more of a background character and an enforcer. He's called on by other gods... To do combat on the behest of the gods for people that have wronged them so what i'm drawing from this is the fact that kratos is you know his origins are the same he doesn't really have that much of a background other than being a violent retainer for the gods and you know that sort of holds true in the games even though he's an anti-hero we're given a more humanistic standpoint to see kratos from because we don't know he's a demigod in the first game at all we don't learn about kratos's parentage until the next game so really what was created for this game was a Spartan anti-hero who essentially becomes a violent vassal for the gods. And in that in that regard, they kept his parallels with Greek mythology pretty accurate. I mean, obviously, there's liberties taken with, you know, how he actually came to be in the service of the gods and his mental well-being and a lot more personality than, than in any piece of mythology I could find, even though he's just boiled down to a violent anti-hero. But He's someone we can root for because he's been wronged by the gods. And we, we as the player, step into this guy's shoes and just get to, you know, hack away at everything that Ares stands for and sends at us, which is a fun trip in itself. But even though he's an anti-hero, we're also kind of rooting for him because we want we want to see Kratos get his revenge. So that's sort of a peek into the psyche, the origin, and the motivations behind the main character, Kratos. Now, I want to dive into some of the lesser-known gods. Uh, I'm not going to cover every single one of them, mainly Athena, Ares, but those are really the key players in this game. So let's get into talking about their origins in a similar manner as we just did with Kratos. So aside from Kratos, we're working with a whole pantheon of gods essentially. Now, not all the gods are introduced in the first God of War game, so I really want to talk about the ones that are central to the plot for just the first God of War game. In my eyes, that, that boils it down to two or three people really. So you got Ares, Athena, and so why don't we start with talking about Ares? In the game, Ares is the you know original god of war, and he essentially serves as the antagonist for the game. He sort of is the force that shapes Kratos into the vengeful spirit that he becomes, right? Because Ares sends Kratos off on this journey to find this Ambrosia and become his champion. Now, seeing seeing this, Ares sees potential in Kratos to help him unseat the rest of Olympus, because Ares' goal is to unseat Zeus and take over Olympus, right? Now, his, his origins in the game, Ares is the son of Zeus and brother to Athena. So, originally... Ares and Athena were sent on a mission to snuff out the potential person who could take down Olympus. There was a prophecy that the oracles had about a warrior who could take down Olympus, and unknowingly Ares and Athena grabbed Kratos's brother. Kratos attempts to stop Ares, but is knocked down easily, and this essentially starts Kratos on his path of violence because his brother was taken away at such a young age. Now, Ares is not a very dimensional character in the game. He's pretty one noted, in, in my opinion, at least. He he just seeks to gain power and unseat the entire system of the gods for himself. Really, he wages war on Athens, which is uh, Athena's namesake city, and that is what starts Kratos on his mission to take down. Ares. It's also worth noting, too, that Ares was the one who provided Kratos with his original weapons, the Blade of Chaos. Later on, Kratos gains a set from Athena, but the origins of Kratos' weapons are from Ares himself. So Ares is sort of the force that starts Kratos on his journey and also gives him the power to eventually take him down. Now, in actual Greek mythology, Ares is actually pretty similar. He is also the god of war, and he's also the child of Zeus and Hera. Now, he's born after the war between the gods and the Titans and is also rivals with his sister Athena who's the goddess of wisdom. Now, uh, Ares is similar enough to the game backstory that it's not worth getting into. The similarities more just about what's different. So in the Greek mythology, he's not as driven to unseat his father. He is more just a violent force. It is worth noting though that in, you know, in talking about Greek mythology, there's essentially some overlap with Roman mythology too. And Ares has a Roman counterpart called Mars. And in the Roman pantheon of gods, Mars is actually the god that is second in command to Kronos himself. So Ares is a figure in Greek and Roman mythology that is highly respected and not seen so much as an antagonist to the rest of Olympus. He's just part of the pantheon and part of the rule of the gods. The next god in the Greek pantheon that I want to talk about is Athena. Now, Athena in the games is the goddess of wisdom, and she serves as the guide for Kratos for the majority of the game, and helps him along his path to claim the power to take down Ares. Now, Athena is seen as a wise and noble source of information for Kratos, and also sort of the vessel for the gods in the first game. She manifests herself as a statue in most cases, so we're given a sort of lifeless form to reflect her character off of. Uh, now, she promises Kratos that if if he does slay Ares that his sins will be forgiven. Now, the gods never promised Kratos that his nightmares will end. And that is ultimately what Kratos was seeking was, you know, revenge on Ares and having his nightmares uh, taken away. But at the end of the game, Athena essentially tells Kratos that they can forgive his sins, but no man or god can take away the visions of the horrible things he's done. Now, in in my opinion this sort of paints the gods as more you know they become they become more villainous as the as the games go on but this is like the first glimpse into how ruthless the gods can actually be because they're you know they're treating someone who's doing work for them uh as sort of still punishing him which you know gods have that sort of role in universes right they have the ability to judge others they have the ability to cast judgment and they even though kratos is doing everything that they ask they don't want to completely forgive him of everything he's done or relieve him of all of his burdens they'll forgive his sins but they won't relieve him of his burdens so in this way athena is sort of a driving guide who is also a pivotal source of judgment for the character of kratos now kratos goes to throw himself from a cliff at the end of the game but athena stops him And instead, she probably makes the single most problematic decision she ever makes and decides to make Kratos the new god of war, which in the next two games leads to, you know, essentially the fall of Olympus. Now, in Greek mythology, Athena is painted in a pretty similar way that she is in the god of war games. She's the goddess of wisdom. Um, The city of Athens is named after her, as well as... uh, the Acropolis and the Parthenon were built in her namesake. So Athena is a god in Greek mythology that is highly respected, seen as a a force of good and helps people make decisions that they may not be able to make themselves and need to rely on the wisdom of a god for. So I believe I believe in the first game we're given a pretty positive outlook of Athena until the end, uh, when Kratos isn't completely forgiven or doesn't have his nightmares removed. So there we kind of see how cold and harsh the gods. Can actually be, And then she also won't let Kratos end his life and instead, in her own uh, vested interest, decides to put him on the seat of the God of War. So Athena is a pretty central driving force in Kratos' journey and in the plot of the game as well. So on top of the pantheon of gods that we're dealing with in the roster of characters for God of War, it's also really important to look at the fact that a lot of the monsters and enemies in the game come from Greek mythology too so you're looking at a lot of minor references like medusa is a boss fight uh the hydra is too um the furies are a direct reference from greek mythology they're the forces who decide to join up with Ares in an attempt to take down and overthrow olympus and then you also have orcos too who is also uh the oath oath holder or oath keeper for the furies who is a minor character from greek mythology so uh my point in mentioning this is that the fact that the entire you know cast of characters has an origin in greek mythology which is pretty astounding to take a source material that has as much depth and as many potential references and deities and ideas in it and boil it down to a set of characters you can use to create an original story and you know while the story of god of war isn't the most i don't want to say it's not creative because it is creative in a way but it takes a bunch of these disparate minor forces and major forces and brings them together in a narrative that is original and interesting to someone who knows nothing about greek mythology and to someone who knows a lot about it too because it's a retelling of characters that you may or may not know but in a completely new light so, in this regard, I think God of War is pretty interesting, even if the even if the characters can come off as one-dimensional. Like, you know, Kratos can seem very much just like Spirit of Vengeance the entire game, but he still has a very complex backstory to him, and that creates depth, right? And that's what a lot of us look for when we're investing in the story of a game, is we want something we can relate to, and we want something that has depth. And in that regard, I think God of War does it more subtly than openly, because a lot of times you just have Kratos on screen, you know, looking angry and bashing guys, but on the inside, he's clearly way more torn up. I mean, look at the nightmares he has, right? The, he's tormented by the thought of having to see himself re-kill his family over and over and over again. And that's something that we don't even want to see him go through. So the fact that we can take these minor and major characters and bring them together in a new way and appreciate them, I think is pretty amazing. <laughs> So the next topic that I really want to dig into is about the actual aesthetic and design choices of the game. So when we look at a game like God of War, we have to look at the world building that's going on, right? We have to look at the design elements, the gameplay, and the references that it makes back to its source material to determine how the product really holds up. So the first design element that I really want to talk about is sort of the architecture of the world. And this is where part of my background as an architectural designer comes into play, because when looking at a game like God of War, it's really hard to not take a look at how the environments and the world are built based on the source material. So in my opinion, the structures actually remain pretty faithful to Grecian architecture. Um, the style resembles what's called the arch- classical architectural style, which if you look at something like Athens or the Parthenon, they're these you know giant temples with the five orders of columns and friezes and just these monolithic stone structures. And in my opinion, the game holds to that pretty well. Um, and it also comes through in the design of the dungeons and the puzzles, right? Like there's in terms of creating an environment, they, they took a frame Framework, which is the sort of traditional architectural style of the period they're trying to recreate, but then twisted it in their own way to make something that's brand new. And I think that's actually a pretty good idea because in a way it, it takes... It takes a reference point that some of us have for something that's concrete and brings it into a world that we don't know that much about, even though it's inspired by an original source material. So I think the fact that they take this original architectural style but twist it in a way to build a world that is brand new is a good thing because you're creating a new environment for people that may not know the source material that well, but people who do will be able to draw a connection to it. So there's some relation, but there's also just educating some new people who know nothing about architecture and styles and history. As sort of an intro point. It doesn't, you know, explicitly spell it out, but someone who doesn't know much about the topic can look at the buildings and look at the structures and be like, huh, hey, that does vaguely look like a Greek temple. So in in that way, I think the game actually does a really good job of uh, stylistically holding to its architectural inspiration. So a couple points that I want to bring forward to talk about in the design of the game is some you know real world inspiration that they that they either pull from intentionally or not so much. So the first thing I want to talk about is the fact that okay so there's six locations established in this game. Two of them are actual real locations, right? So out of the six, Athens and the agency are physical places that exist. Now, do the game do the game versions of these embody the exact locations? No, but they take a you know they take a stylistic approach to it and then take the names of these places and build on it what what's important to note about that i think is the fact that you're taking these two real places and most people will know the name of athens at least right like athens is a commonly known name of a city if you tell someone athens greece they know you're talking about a real world place and what i think is important about that is that it gives us a place to put our suspension of disbelief for a little while if the game mentions that there's an athens greece i can in my head anchor the fact that i know that that place exists in the real world right it's sort of like building It's sort of like having an anchor just to weigh down our suspension of disbelief and then building off that, even though we know the world is fictional, right? So you have these real-world locations that are referenced, and that gives the player a point of reference from their own standpoint, and then you build something off of it that's completely new. So the fact that they reference these real-world locations, I think, is actually a good choice because it's taking some, some common name or place that people know, and then sort of sprouting off that for these other locations that are not as well. And you know, pivoting off that, uh, I want to get into something in the in the the art style of the game that may or may not have been inspired by this source of material. So all of the characters and all of the monsters and God of War are you know kind of hyper realistic, as as realistic as these creatures and humans can be in a world that's fictional right so the art style itself and the the graphics of the game are portrayed to be as realistic as it can be for a fictional world but the fact that you have someone who is you know pretty sculpturally built like kratos and the forms of some of these other monsters and stuff that draw from Greek inspiration kind of pull me back to my point of references in terms of uh, greek sculptures and paintings right a lot of those uh, sculptures and paintings from that time are very fluid and very dynamic i mean even even athena is portrayed in the form of a statue in the game. So I think there's some correlation there between uh, the way that these forms are represented and presented. Now they didn't they didn't take directly from it but they may have used it as a starting point and saying hey we need all we need all the the characters the monsters and uh, built structures in this game to be sort of fluid and dynamic because that's the sort of look we're going for and that kind of transitions us into the gameplay element which is what i want to talk about next so the next element of the game that i really want to get into is the gameplay itself so the gameplay of god of war is uh, very reminiscent of devil may cry and aiko in in that you have these intense moments of sort of combo based uh, combat so you you'll come into a, a larger area and you'll have to fight off a horde of foes using abilities that you gain over time and combo based combat which in itself is a lot of fun games like that keep you engaged they, they usually have a low point of accessibility but then a high point of skill cap because you can build up your skills in a way that you can learn combos and you can build on your knowledge and it'll make you more effective at the game, right? But then also, it's easy for someone who doesn't know anything about the game to come in, and for lack of a better term, they can sometimes button mash their way through it. Now, I haven't played God of War in a while, so for me, I remember being more based on skill than just hack and slashing or button mashing, but it's definitely dynamic action that keeps the player engaged. And then the other element is the puzzles, right? So generally between these sort of strong areas, you have puzzles that stand in your way. Now the the puzzles I mentioned are similar to Ico, the game that sort of was the prelude to Shadow of the Colossus, um which I think is a good thing because it keeps the puzzles interesting They're they're not overly difficult, but they're enough to keep the player engaged. And what this does is it sort of builds a narrative of really intense action scenes having a break that there's a puzzle there and sort of spans out the time between the action which some may see it as fluff but i don't think it is because i think the way they implement the puzzles is a really important design element in terms of building the world and building the space and then you have the larger moments of combat that feel really satisfying for people that love that action-packed gameplay and combat system So this is where I want to start to wrap up the podcast. Um, When we look at the parts and of the whole, we see a conglomeration of design elements and features that pull from a rich and deep source material, but with an original story and a character who hasn't had a chance to shine before. The representation and design elements recreate the source material as realistically possible in a world inspired by fiction. The game is engaging and keeps the story and player going by immersing them in a world with familiar elements, but putting a fresh spin and dynamic design decisions in. I believe God of War is a representation of a time and a culture that strays far enough away from the source material. To have some original ideas, but ultimately still leans on its roots to build a world for the players to explore Greek mythology. So that's going to be it for today's episode, guys. That's what I think of God of War. I mean, I love the game and I love the source material, and I loved being able to dig in and learn more about Greek mythology and a game that is dearly beloved across pretty much an entire gaming generation. But I want to know what you guys think too. Drop me a tweet, drop me an email. I'll leave links to. Of contact in the episode description. Uh, that's going to do it for episode one of 8 bit archaeology. Now, I'm planning on spanning out God of War by game, so there's going to be an episode for each game in the series, but I'm going to space them out enough to where it's not going to be all at once. If you like my podcast, subscribe. My plan is to keep up a schedule of releasing an episode about every two weeks. Right now, I'm still trying to figure out how long it takes me really to produce an episode and how much I can manage with everything else I have going on. But that being said, subscribe, do all that good stuff. And I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to my podcast and hearing me talk about game design and history. That's going to be it for this episode, but thanks guys.